Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the people of God are still in the wilderness, but very soon they are on the verge of leaving one life behind for a drastically new and a different one. So after 40 years of languishing in a barren wasteland, they are going to be exchanging all of the poverty and all of the nothingness of the wilderness for the promised land. This land that is flowing with milk and with honey, which is the ancient Hebrew imagery for comfort, for wealth and abundance and for security. But the thing is, is that there is a problem in all this and a danger in all this, is that God as well as Moses both understand that when they go into the promised land, that this is going to be a dangerous thing for them. And so what he says there in our text in Deuteronomy chapter 6 starting in the 10th verse, is is this, and he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and have been filled, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. And if that doesn't wake you up, on an early Sunday morning, nothing will. <laughs> but, um, all right, so what is God saying here? God is saying that when you go into the promised land, out of the wilderness, understand that you did not build any of this. You had nothing to do with the raising and the building of, of any of this. Understand that it was already there long before you showed up. And it really what God is saying to his people here is that it's a warning that the more milk and honey that that you will devour in the promised land, the easier it will be to forget your hunger and your thirst out in the wilderness those 40 years. And the more that you forget your hunger and thirst out there in that wilderness, the more comfortable and the more self-reliant you can become. The more comfortable and self-reliant you can become, the more your gratitude is going to erode. The more that your gratitude erodes, the more arrogant and entitled you can become in your hearts. And the more arrogance and entitlement infiltrates into your, your hearts and your souls, the more callous you will become to the suffering of your fellow man. What God the Father is saying to his people here is, remember where you have come from. Remember who you used to be when you were enslaved in the land of Egypt. What he's saying is never, ever, ever forget those chains, those bricks, and the voice of Pharaoh, 
that sweltering Egyptian sun and these 40 years spent languishing in the wilderness, what God is saying is mentally, psychologically, spiritually, go back to that teary, ethereal bliss that was yours in the Red Sea. As you experience and as you, you got your, your very first taste of what freedom felt like, he says, remember, remember, remember. And yet it is so easy for us to forget, isn't it? And to grow complacent and to become callous in our hearts to the cries and to the desperation of those who are suffering in our world. And that brings us to cancel culture. I think everybody has heard the phrase cancel culture before, especially in the last couple of years. And what the idea of it is, is that usually it is a celebrity who has either said or who has done something that is indefensibly horrible and reprehensible. And so it is a consensus it is um, agreed to that we are going to withdraw support from this person because of this act. Their voice is going to be silenced, their career is going to be finished, and they, well, they themselves will also be over and finished. And in the past few years, this is precisely what has happened to the likes of Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Matt Lauer, R. Kelly, I mean, the list goes on and on, Louis C.K. And I believe this is justice speaking, and I believe this is progress in our world. And yet, as it goes with, with any good thing initially, eventually it's going to be abused. It's going to spiral out of control, isn't it? I feel like we have reached the point in cancel culture sometimes where for all kinds of other reasons, people are just casting stones for just any and every reason at other people to the extent that, I mean, in a, it almost feels like every one of us has been canceled because, well, we all have skeletons in our closets. It doesn't always feel like we're giving other people a chance to even change or to rehabilitate, but I like the way cancel culture had initially started. Where we're looking at all of these situations and we're like, you know what? Maybe it's not a good idea to just keep allowing all of these wealthy predators to just continue brutalizing women forever and ever and ever. And so no, what it said, um, at least initially, is that no, we are shutting this down right here. And right now, and that um, at least originally was what cancel culture was. Well, a couple of weeks ago, there was um, a lawyer who is on retainer in the White House. Her name is Jenna Ellis. And what she had, had visualized in her mind was, what if one day Christianity is canceled in America? What she says is that if they try to cancel Christianity, if they try to ever force me to apologize or to recant my faith, I will not bend. I will not waver. I will not break. And then she says, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And I want to say amen to that. And I've said amen to that my, my whole entire life. That we don't want Christianity canceled in America. And if it does, I mean, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I love that spirit, especially in the White House. What follows after that, though, is as if we need to improve upon on Christ the solid rock I stand. What, what comes after that is, and I am proud to be an American. And it just seems like its tone is now completely changed, where if my political party is no longer represented in the White House come November, then, oh my goodness, Christianity is going to be canceled. And we, we cannot 
ever cancel Christianity in America. And yet, anybody who has ever lived outside of America, especially in a country where Jesus and the church was as illegal there as a crack house is in Philadelphia, emerge from this with a brand new perspective of what church really is. And I mean, the Word of God is overrun with, with one example after another to the reality that Christianity was never at its finest, at its more, you know, most, most um, powerful beautifulness when it was illegal to be a Christian. As we find the Apostle Paul John, or as we find the Apostle John writing later on in his life to a group of Christians who, who are being looked down upon because of, of all the people who they love, John says, do not be surprised when the world hates you. I think about how the apostles, after having sat at the feet of Jesus Christ those three years, could have emerged from that saying that, that, okay, the world hated Jesus. And so what this means is that it's also going to hate me too. And I think if we were to ever pray to Jesus, please let, let the day never come where, where Christianity is canceled in our borders. I think Jesus would, would almost cock his head back and say, I mean, there's no other way that I would have that than for Christianity to be deemed canceled in society. And I think it's very interesting as we come to the book of Acts that, that from the very beginning, they tried to cancel Christianity before it even started even. As we come to the book of Acts, what we find are the apostles and the early followers of Jesus in their own um, Deuteronomy moments where for 40 plus days they have been riding a very confusing and a very emotional roller coaster where they, they have just experienced Gethsemane. They have all abandoned Jesus or betrayed Jesus or denied him. They have heard Jesus had been nailed to the cross, placed inside a tomb. Three days later, he appears in their midst living. He ascends to heaven now for a very long time. What they're doing, just waiting around in this upper room. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And yet, at last, as we come into Acts chapter 2, now all of a sudden, it's starting to make sense now. Where it says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. People from all over the world now are hearing the gospel preached for the very first time on this earth in their own native languages. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see one of the very early attempts to cancel Christianity before it even got off the ground. Where it says in chapter 2 of Acts and in verse 13, as, as others are, are amazed and perplexed, verse 13 says, but it says, others have been mocking them saying that, that they are drunk with new wine. These guys are drunk. And it seems like a very harmless and a benign verse. I mean, it just seems harmless, but... When we look at this very closely, I mean, what are they actually trying to do here? They are trying to cancel Christianity through slander, by attacking their credibility, maybe even also attacking their um, confidence in the power of Jesus Christ here. And you notice, though, that they do not back down from this, though. I just love the, the um, example and the mindset of the apostles because here is what their reaction is of this attempted slander. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven disciples, raised his voice. 
And he preaches Christ. 3,000 plus people are baptized in the Christ. The church is established. What we see happening here is that the apostles stood their ground. They weathered an attack. They remembered the power of Jesus at work within them. And after having made one giant step forward, they, they then make three more steps forward and ahead. Well, we come to chapter 4 and we see yet another attempt at, at canceling Christianity in the early world. Where now what the attempt is, is jail time. So a couple of the apostles, Simon, Peter, and John, have now been arrested. And I want you to know that this was a, a society and a time in history where if you were ever thrown into prison, this was an attack on your reputation. Your mother and your father viewed it as, as disgrace being brought upon the family name. They were ashamed to be called, most cases, mother and father to a person in jail. And yet they are dragged before these high-ranking officials. What they say is, we are commanding you right now, don't even whisper the name of Jesus in your homes ever again. And yet I love their reaction to it because is their response to it, well, we've got to obey our governing authorities, so I guess we just got to do what they say and just stop speaking about Jesus from now on? No. There in chapter 4 and in verse 19, man, I just love their response. But Peter and John answered them, standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with these intimidating people, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and what we have heard. And they threaten them and they, they cut them loose and they go back to the church and Everybody's praying, and it says in verse 31 that, that when the church had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued speaking the word of God with all boldness. What is happening here is that is, is, you know, they are standing their ground. They are weathering an attack. They remembered the power of Jesus within them, and after having taken one step forward, they take three more giant steps forward and ahead. Well, we find another attempt of bodily harm in chapter 5 after this, where once again they have been jailed. And yet it makes me smile every time I read it that they go to these high-ranking officials again, and they say that those two guys who you threw into jail and commanded to never speak about Jesus... Somehow they escape from, from jail and they are in the temple and they are proclaiming Jesus ten times louder than they were the other day. Well, they're dragged back into the council and now the high priest gets into their faces and, say, or, and says, We strictly warned you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. But you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and you're trying to bring this man Jesus' blood upon us. Cut it out or we are going to get rougher with you. Stop speaking, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And what their reaction is, is that, well, that's all and well, but we've got to obey God rather than men. And so now the gloves are flying off. Verse 40, they um, call the apostles in, and they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. But notice what their reaction is in verse 41 says that then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They stood their ground, weathered the attack. They remembered the power of Jesus at work within their souls. And after having made one step forward, they take three more giant steps ahead. Until at long last, we see the forces of darkness conspiring against the church. How are we going to cancel the church? We could not cancel the church through slander or through jail time. We could not cancel Christianity through bodily harm and through beatings. So now the time has come that we've got to stop or start killing Christians. And so Stephen is murdered for his testimony, for his bold witness. And yet then Saul of Tarsus comes along and he decides, I will cancel Christianity myself. He's throwing Christians in the jail. He's killing Christians. And yet what Saul of Tarsus had discovered firsthand is that you can try to cancel Christianity all that you want to. Just like as we see with the virus right now, it, is, it has been successful in, in keeping us out of our cathedrals, but you will never be able to cancel the church on the face of this earth. Saul of Tarsus tried, but what he discovered is that you cannot destroy a kingdom of, of God and of heaven, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You can try to cancel Jesus' reign, but you cannot cancel the reign of a king of kings and lord of lords whose end has no increase to his government. Who was reigning and who was ruling before there was even a universe. And so what Saul of Tarsus' attitude is, well, if you can't beat him, you've got to join him, right? And so he becomes a Christian. He becomes Paul. But so many attempts at canceling Christianity and Every one of them a magnificent failure. And yet I want to shift gears to another cancellation that we read about in Scripture. And that is when God does the cancellation of his so-called nation, of his so-called church, whose lifestyle and whose conduct is suggesting otherwise. It's the prophet Jeremiah standing at the gate of the temple and he stops them before they go in and says, if you amend your ways, you can go in there, you can offer sacrifices, but, but if you will continue in idolatry, then you're canceled. You can't go in there anymore. What he says is, I want you to go back to Shiloh and see what has become of Shiloh. Shiloh was this region up north where God's tabernacle once was. This is where you once drew near to God. And yet now, because of idolatry, that, that dwelling place now has been eradicated from the face of the earth. There's no evidence that it ever even existed. God says, go back to Shiloh and remember, because that could be you if you do not amend your ways in the temple of God. It's the year 586, as we see destruction fall upon Jerusalem. They are all led away into exile, into captivity. And as they are there, once again, as slaves, thousands of miles away from their um, land of promise, what is in the heart of every Hebrew is that I, I would give anything to go back to Jerusalem in the way that it was. All those years that, that I would sing, that I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, that I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and I will enter his courts with praise now all of that is a very eerie and a very ghostly echo in a ghost town. 
in a ravaged city of once was because of all of these hearts that had been offering worship out of a callous and a divided spirit. And that temple got canceled. And that nation got canceled and they were led away into captivity until they came back to God. And yet, you know what? It's even true in churches. As Jesus writes to many churches in the book of Revelation, he writes to the church of Ephesus and he says the exact same thing that God the Father says to the Israelites in our text. He says, remember. Remember how much you loved me when you came up from the waters of baptism, but you don't love me like that anymore, you guys. So remember from where you have fallen and go back to being those people or I'm going to come in and remove your lampstand. In other words, this congregation is going to be canceled unless you amend your ways. As he writes to the church at Laodicea, and it just is so eerily reminiscent of much of the American church, I'm afraid, where it says that, that you believe in your hearts that, that I am rich and that I am prospering and that I need absolutely nothing from anyone. Jesus says, what you do not even realize is that you are wretched. You are poor and you're blind and you're naked. And so because you are neither hot nor cold, I, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will cancel this congregation unless you open up the door to me and be who you used to be in your Christian life. Jesus is like, I am shutting this down right now unless there is a change. And so in all of this, what we see is that there is absolutely a Christianity that, that you and that I have got to cancel. There is a Christianity that we have got to cancel. And what I mean by that, that word Christianity is in quotation marks. See, because the way that this started, this, this whole movement of Jesus on the face of this earth, how it started, is that it was just so scandalous when it began about, wow, those Christians love even those people. It was subversive to the religious status quo of the time. It was all about the heart, not just the mind. It was a dangerous thing to live because of all the people you were loving and who you were including. And it was all about embodying Jesus Christ in our interactions with the world. And yet when they legalized Jesus and when they legalized the church and Christianity in Rome, and when the church moved out of homes and out of streets and they came into lofty cathedrals, it lost its scandal. It became very tame and very civilized and very politicalized. And now it was all about convenience rather than embodying Jesus Christ. And that's because it is a universal truth that the more milk and honey we devour in comfort and in luxury, See, the more we will forget our hunger and thirst out in our wilderness, the more that we forget our hunger and thirst out in that wilderness, the more comfortable and self-reliant we will become. The more comfortable and self-reliant we become, the more our gratitude will erode. The more that our gratitude erodes before our very eyes, the more arrogance and entitlement seeps into our soul. And the more arrogance and entitlement that seeps into our soul, the more callous we will become towards our fellow man. You see, when Amanda and I moved to Wuhan, China a decade ago, 
We thought that we knew what Chinese food was, only to discover that there is an entirely different, you know, a palette there of what real Chinese food actually is. What had dawned on us is that for all of our lives, yeah, it was called Chinese food, but we were eating Americanized Chinese food. It was not Chinese Chinese food, you see. I was having a conversation once on a plane with, with a Chinese man who had said that, that usually if you want to have true authentic Chinese food in America, you've got to go to those hole-in-the-wall restaurants that have the, the lowest Yelp reviews, like, like zero stars that says, this place is the worst. He said, usually these are the true authentic Chinese food establishments. Amen to that. <laughs> And I'll never forget when we had moved back to America after a year in China. We were so used to a Chinese palate that I was in a checkout line in a store and all of a sudden I'm sprinting to a men's room and I'm throwing up because I'm not used to the American palate again. And I think it's very much like that in the church sometimes in America that, yes, we, we have a Jesus running around in America. He goes by the name of Jesus, but, but it's an Americanized Jesus. It's this Jesus who only cares about one country in the world and it's ours. He's a very, you know, a political Jesus. He, he is a card-carrying member of our political party. He's got a sweet gun rack and a mobile home. I mean, there are a lot of churches and a lot of signs and it says the word church, but so many of these churches are enslaved to ritualism and to nationalism. Yeah. And far too much of the American church there is a sentiment that as long as I have voted against two issues on a ballot, that means that my ticket to heaven has then been punched and I'm better than everybody else and God is not looking upon my misdoings because after all, there's, there's only two sins and they're on that ballot and I have not committed them. Speak it, brother. And yet I believe, though, that regardless of what our American Jesus looks like, and we all have one, However, our Americanized Jesus rears his ugly head. I believe what the message for us and the church of today is this. Is let this Americanized imposter Jesus that we have made in our image, let that Jesus die. That's not the real Jesus. And let's Amen. fall madly, insanely in love with the real Jesus. Amen. The real Jesus who spared guilty adulteresses who reached out and who touched lepers, whose heart bled for the oppressed, and who transcended religious convention with the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we close, what, what my call to action is to you and what your call to action is in turn to me is that we begin asking ourselves, what part of my Christianity do I need to cancel and eradicate? For a lot of us, it might just be that we are paralyzed in fear and, and by inaction. We need to be like the, the early church and to, and to remember that the power of Jesus is in our souls. Or maybe it's that our gratitude has eroded. Or maybe it's that we have become so comfortable as Americans and as Democrats and as Republicans and as independents that, that we, we are trumping all of that above being Christians and sons and daughters of the Most High. 
And I close with these words, the very last words of the book of Acts. We come to the very end of this long book of so much bloodshed and persecution and conflict and attempts at canceling the church. And of all people, we find Saul of Tarsus, now a dedicated follower of Jesus, said this about Paul. Acts 28 and verse 31. It says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. They tried to cancel it, but God always has the last word, doesn't he? And that last word is, or those last words are without hindrance. What's all a Tarsus experience more than anything is that this God of ours is a God of one trillion chances. And as long as we are amending our ways and walking in the light and doing justice in this world, he is not going to cancel us for what we did in 1979 or in 1982 or in 1997 or 15 minutes ago. So as you and I have been exiles out of our own church building in this very unique time, let us take full advantage of this time and to be just like the ancient Israelites and remember where we've come to never forget what we have learned in these past three or four months and let this new normal in our hearts replace whatever we once called normal before and never go back to that old normal again. As we close, let us go to God in prayer.